Any wonder that morning early that the women who came to the cross had no hope? Sometimes when we think about the Easter story, we forget the reality that everything that they had placed all their hope in, all their dreams, everything that they thought was going to happen had just died on the cross. Four days earlier, they walked into the city and and people had laid down their their coats and their jackets and branches across the road as Jesus entered in. They proclaimed him as a Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Proclamation of Messiah. They were excited. Man, any moment Jesus is going to take the throne and everything's going to change. And in one night, all that changed. Now the disciples, they're gathered together in one room, huddled together, wondering, what's going to happen? When are they coming for us? When are the soldiers going to knock on the door? Because when Jesus was arrested, you remember, they all fled. They all ran. The women who had gone to the cross and were the last ones at the cross were the first ones up in the morning, rising early, rushing out to see one more, one more time to anoint a dead body. You see, nobody was looking for a living Lord. They all thought he was gone. Hey, he fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled the promise of the scripture. Maybe we'll never see him again. But just one more time, they wanted to go and anoint his body with spices. And when they arrived, he's gone. He's not there. The Roman soldiers, they're gone. Nobody's there. The stone is gone. There's two men that they find out are angels that tell them, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's risen just like he told you. And they rush back to the men and they tell them the good news. Hey, Jesus is risen. But you see, to those disciples, it didn't feel like good news. Still never going to see him again. He's still gone. What are we supposed to do now? Where do we go now? Have you ever felt yourself in a place in life where you didn't have the answers? You didn't know what comes next. You didn't know what's the next thing I need to do or the next thing that I need to, to, to look for. I, I'm in a loss. I don't know which way to go, where to turn. And we would like to hear from the Lord. That God would be there speaking to us. That the Lord would guide us. Well, in Luke 24, God provides us just such a story. Because as we take a look at verse 12, it says, Now Peter arose and he ran down, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself. I wonder what had happened. wonder what's going on. Verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they didn't know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Literally, what he's saying is, hey, what is this heavy conversation that's weighing you down? What is this stuff that's going on that's got you so sad, so broken hearted? 
And so as Jesus lays this out to the disciples, he answers, the only one whose name we know, Cleopas, it says, Cleopas will answer, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened in these days? From the time of Passover, three days have passed. Three days have passed since every Jewish male within the area had to be in Jerusalem for the sacrifice. Every Jewish male that was in traveling distance had to go. They would have been there. And Cleopas is saying, how could you not know? Here's the important thing that we need to realize about that, folks. Everybody at that time knew Jesus existed. Everyone at that time knew of the miracles that he had done. Everyone at that time was aware of what he stood for and what he meant. It's only us, 2,000 years later, that get confused. It's only now, at this point, that people want to reject the truth that they knew at that time. They say, listen, how can you not know what happened? Everybody saw it. Everybody heard. Everybody that was going to sacrifice... Folks, they brought Jesus down the Via Della Rosa, right by the temple, the way of the cross. They put the cross outside of a hill called Golgotha, at the top of Mount Moriah, right outside the shepherd's gate. You know why they called the shepherd's gate? It was where the shepherds would come, where the sheep would come in. What was being sacrificed on Passover? Sheep. Where were people coming in? Shepherd's gate. Where was the cross? Right there. Right there. Outside the city, on a hill that looked like a skull. So Cleopas is thinking, what are you talking about? I mean, surely you know about what has taken place, what's going on. But look at what the Lord says to him. In verse 19, he said to him, what things? Jesus wanted to hear what they had to say about what had taken place. Now, Jesus knew pretty well what had taken place, right? He was there. But he says, listen, what things? I want to, I want to hear what you're talking about. I've, I've had a chance to experience that in my own life with my kids. Maybe some of you have experienced it too. When our kids are growing up, when they're younger, you know, we sat down and, and we've told the same stories to the kids over and over again, different holidays, especially on Resurrection Day, on Easter Sunday, telling about the resurrection of the Lord. Just last night, Joseph comes in and he's talking to me. He says, Dad, do you know that the tomb is empty? Now, I know the tomb's empty, but I want to hear about it. So I say, well, Joe, tell me what you mean. So he begins to tell me the story. And we got my, my oldest son one time made a model of the tomb. And we have it. We set it out every Easter. And it's got a little stone in front of it. And, and as Easter draws near, the stone opens a little more each time until it's wide open. And Joe opened up the stone. And he, and he looked inside. He said, look, Dad, it's empty. It's empty. Jesus not there. He's in heaven. Now, I know the story. But I want to hear it from my kids. I want to hear it from their lips. I want to hear what they have to say. So Jesus walking with these guys, his own disciples, brokenhearted, thinking that everything they had placed their hope in was over. And he says, haven't you heard what has happened? And Jesus says, no, tell me. Tell me what's happened. Tell me about what's going on. You know what else it tells me? Jesus wants to know what's going on in your life. He wants to know what's going on in my life. He wants to hear it. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. But he wants them to open up their heart. <clears throat> he wants them to begin to share. 
and to tell him the things that had taken place from his point of view. So he's going to begin. Look at what he says. So he said to him, these are the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now that tells us they knew his name. They knew where he was from. Jesus Hanatzaret. In Hebrew it means the branch. Jesus the branch. Jesus of Nazareth. He goes on. Who was a prophet. Notice it's past tense. He was a prophet. Mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our own rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping... We were hoping that it was He that was going to redeem. So they began to lay out the things that they knew. They knew who He was. They knew that He was a prophet. They knew that He had done mighty works, mighty deeds. He was mighty in the Word of God. They knew that He had been crucified. And they had had hoped, they had believed that He was the one who was going to redeem. That's where they were. That's where they were in their relationship. That's what they understood. That's what they knew. And then listen, he goes on and says, And certain of our women, in verse 22, Certain of our women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, that's Peter and John, certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, But him... They didn't see. That's as far as their relationship with Jesus Christ went. Do you get it? They knew who He was. They knew He existed. They knew what He'd done. They knew what they hoped for. They had even heard that some said He was risen from the dead. But as yet, they didn't have a relationship with Him. It's not enough to know that Jesus exists. It's not enough to know that people say He did great works or that He's risen from the dead. There's more to it. There's more in it. And so Jesus answers them. Check it out. Jesus answered in verse 25. He says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. You know, the heart is about, what, 12, 18 inches from the head? You realize you can know something in your head and it not be in your heart? That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you have a head knowledge, but you're foolish of heart, slow of heart, slow to believe, to trust, to receive, to understand. He's telling them you're so close. You're right at the very door, but don't you see you're slow of heart? Don't you understand what the Scriptures laid out? Slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And then, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded. That word expounded means literally He translated to them all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. What things? How could He start at Moses and talk to Him? The Proto-Evangelicum, the very first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.16. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And while he crushed the head of the serpent, he would bruise his heel. That the serpent would be struck with a, a death blow. That Satan would be losing the battle. But that Jesus Christ would be damaged as a result. He lays out that it was the seed of a woman. 
That should give us a clue, right? Because Isaiah tells in Isaiah 7.14, women don't have seeds. Men have seeds. So what's the seed of the woman? Well, Isaiah 7.14 says, A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Genesis 22, Abraham, he's bringing his son Isaac to to the place where he's to offer him as a sacrifice. He's going to a mountain. You remember the name of the mountain where Jesus was crucified? Mount Moriah is the name of the mountain. The skull is at the top. Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah. He took his son to the top of Mount Moriah where he was to offer him. And his son said to him, Dad, I've got the wood right here on my back. By the way, how did Jesus carry the cross? On his back, right? I've got the wood on my back. I've got the fire for the sacrifice. But but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham prophesied and said, God will provide himself the lamb. That God will become the Lamb. When John the Baptist pointed at Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, what did he declare? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's the promise of Genesis 22. Beginning at Moses, we haven't even gotten into Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, you have the Passover where the, the angel of death was coming to pass over Egypt and everyone had to put a mark the blood on the doorpost, on the side post of their door, so that the angel would pass over them. Passover, which is this last Tuesday. So they would kill this lamb, that lamb. Who was the lamb? The lamb spoke of Jesus Christ, dying for their sins. And they would apply the blood. They would take the blood and they would pour it right at the bottom of the door. They had a, a seal at the bottom of the door. They dipped their, their hyssop into that blood and they'd reach up and strike the, the top, and they'd reach down and strike the sides. What did they just paint on their door? A cross. So when the angel flew over, he saw the cross on the door, and he passed over. Throughout the Scriptures, the Scriptures indicate to us, it declared to us, loud and proud, the things that Jesus had done. Well, we, we, if we leave Exodus, we come to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fraught, filled with stories about the Christ, what He would do, how He would come, the things that, that He would be about. For example, Leviticus chapter 13 through 17 talks about lepers. They had in the law, the law of the lepers. What to do when a leper is cleansed. You know what they did? They would bring two turtle doves. They would take two turtle doves, in essence, from the heavens. They would take these birds, and they would put one in an earthen jar, kill it, and put it in an earthen jar, and they would take the other one and let it go. They never really understood why they did that. What does the Bible say? That we have the treasure of Christ in earthen vessels. The jar speaks of God becoming flesh, dying and returning to heaven the second dove released to go forward. But do you know that whole ceremony? You know what it was for? A leper who had been cleansed. You know how many lepers had been cleansed? None. Zero. For 400 years, they never once had to apply that scripture in Leviticus chapters 13 through 17. Until, 
about 32 AD, when this fellow named Jesus was walking through Jerusalem, and one day he comes across ten lepers at once. And the ten lepers say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make us clean. And he says, okay, well, you go, show yourself to the priest. And as they turned to go to the priest, they were cleansed on the way. They were made clean. So in one day, ten lepers show up, knocking on the door at a temple. Hey, uh, Jesus cleansed us. We used to be lepers, and we're supposed to present ourselves to you about a sacrifice. You think the priests had it all memorized? They said, sacrifice for cleansing the lepers, that's Leviticus 13. I had to study that when I was going through preschool, but we've never had to use it before. And they go back and they look and they begin to do the sacrifice. What does it speak to? Something special is occurring. The lepers are cleansed. The lame walk. The blind see. The deaf can hear. Messiah has come. Last Sunday we talked about Daniel chapter 9. Remember Daniel chapter 9? It laid out for us the exact day that Jesus Christ would enter into Jerusalem. April 6, 32 AD. The exact day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and was proclaimed as a Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just like Daniel 9 specified, he came. What else did Daniel 9 say? That Messiah would be cut off, karat, put to death, but not for his own sins, but for those of the people. Daniel told him a thousand years prior to the, to the coming of Jesus Christ. And here, he's Jesus Christ comes fulfilling prophecy. Jesus now walking with these guys down Emmaus. He's saying, listen guys, this is how it was always supposed to be. This is the plan all along. And he started at Genesis and worked his way through. You know, he came to a scripture known as uh, in Psalm, Psalm 22. Have you ever seen Psalms 22? Turn with me to Psalms 22. We'll take a look at it this morning real quick. We'll read through it. Psalm 22. We'll go a little ways through, but remember this first phrase, how it begins. See if it sounds familiar to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's one of the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, rabbis to their students would often quote the beginning of a chapter in order to tell their students, go and study. Find this verse and go and study what follows. And what follows that section of scripture is a description of the things that Jesus went through on the cross written 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out in the daytime and you do not hear in the night season and am silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and shake their head and they say, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me to trust while on my mother's breast. 
I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bastion have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. When they put the spear in Jesus' side, what came out? Blood and water. Blood and water, which indicates what? Ruptured parabellum. The fact that his heart was broken like wax melted within him. My strength is dried up like a posture. My tongue clings to my jaws. What did he say from the cross? I thirst. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have circled me. The congregation of the wicked enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now when David wrote the Psalms, do you know how the children of Israel put people to death? Stoning. But in this scripture, he's led by the Holy Spirit to write about piercing. Something that would be invented about 800 years later. Really perfected by the Romans. I can count all my bones. How many of his bones were broken? None. They came to break his bones, and why didn't they break them? Because he was already dead. He was already dead. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. Look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. As we look at Psalm 22, again, Jesus laying out to the disciples, hey, the Scriptures foretold of these things. The Scriptures told us these events were going to take place. And He works His way through those very same Scriptures. Working His way through the Psalms. He would say, I am the kinsman redeemer of the book of Ruth. As Ruth, Ruth lays out that concept. The suffering Savior in Psalm 22, He is the great shepherd of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the wisdom of the Proverbs. He's the lover of the Song of Solomon. Throughout Scripture we find Jesus Christ in it all. And then we come to the book of Isaiah. What does the book of Isaiah lay out for us? Isaiah 53 says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we thought him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the holy of holies of the Old Testament prophetic scriptures, laying out what would happen to Messiah, to the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, the Prince, the one who was to come, that he would die. And Jesus would go to these scriptures. And he would say, listen, this is how it was supposed to be. As these two guys are walking down the road to Emmaus, do you think they were blown away? Who is this guy? And how in the world does he know all this stuff? He read to him Isaiah 53. Maybe he read to him Isaiah 50 as well. Isaiah 50 says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. 
I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be ashamed. Then perhaps from Isaiah, he went to Zechariah. This is what Zechariah says, Zechariah 12.10. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Jesus went through from Genesis. New Testament wasn't written yet. And he laid out all the truths of what Messiah was to suffer. And he did it as he walked in the way, as he walked beside these guys, as they went on their journey to Emmaus. Now look what the scripture goes on to tell us. In verse 28 it says, Now when they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone on further. But they constrained him. Hey, Jesus is saying, hey, but I'll see you guys later. No, no, why don't you come in? Come in and, and hang out for a while. We can continue talking. They said, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. The last time that had happened was seven days earlier. About seven days earlier, Jesus had... Uh, well, actually, it would have been about four and a half days earlier. Jesus would have come to them for the Last Supper. And as He came on the Last Supper to share a Passover meal, He came to a point when they would take the afikomen. The afikomen, which means that which comes later. You see, on the table, unbeknownst to the people of Israel is this cloth. Inside the cloth are three pieces of unleavened bread. They take the middle piece out and they break it in half. They take half of that, they wrap it up in something else, and they hide it somewhere in the room to be checked out later. Why do they take the middle piece of the three and break it? Rabbis say they don't know. They have some ideas. But those who have found Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they understand it. What do the three pieces of bread symbolize? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why do they take the second one out and break it? Because His body was broken for them. So Jesus would have taken out that bread, broke it, hid the afikomen, and then they would break up the pieces of that bread and pass it around to everyone who was there. And the Bible tells us what Jesus said, right? He said, this is what? My body broken for you. And now here they are in Emmaus, and they're sitting down with this guy. They're just walking down the road. They don't recognize him. They don't really know who he is, but he's been able to tell them all these things about the Scriptures. And so as they sat down with him, he picks up the bread, and he breaks it. He breaks the bread, he blesses it, and he passes it out to them. And listen... Then their eyes were open and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Now that would have been a trip. Don't you think? Oh, I'm sitting here talking to this guy. He's blowing my mind, opening the scripture. Man, this is amazing. He's laying out all these things for me. Then he picks up the bread, and you know, he looked a lot like Jesus when he did it. You remember when Jesus did it that night when we sat down and ate with him? How he broke the bread and he passed around and said, This is my body broken for you. As soon as he broke it and blessed it, their eyes were open. They knew who he was, and he was gone. 
and He was gone. Two disciples wandering down the road, not really knowing how life was going to work out, what's happening next, what's going on, and they needed a word from the Lord. And God was there. God was there. But you know what should bring you hope? Guys, Jesus walked with them for seven miles and they didn't even know he was there. How many times has Jesus walked with you and you didn't even know he was there? How many times has he ridden in that car with you? How many times has he been that stranger that just walked up, you didn't really recognize for anything, but but had just the right thing to say for you at just the right time? How many times and how many ways have we not recognized him ourselves? And we say, Lord, where are you? But do we have eyes to see? We know his name. We know where he came from. We know the things he did and the people said he rose from the dead. But do we really know him? Have we made a commitment to him? Have we poured out our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have, he's there. He's right there. He's right beside you. People say God doesn't talk to us like he did then. I say we don't listen now like they did then. I don't know about you, but I get in my truck. First thing I do is turn on a radio. Or my son, as soon as he wakes up, he puts an iPod in his head. Turns up the volume. Wherever we go, whatever we do, there's noise, busyness, things happening. All this stuff going on. And in the same time, we're crying out, Lord, how come you're not talking to me? Maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not allowing our eyes to be open to see him as they did. But look what happens. All of a sudden, guys, everything for these two guys changes. Look what they do. It says their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour. All, all, it was so important to go to Emmaus. What are they doing right now? They're going back. Why? Folks, they just discovered that the answer had been there all along. That Jesus really was who he said he was. That the scripture really did indicate that he came to do what he came to do. And now he was empowering his people to be more than what they are. Guys, look at the lives of the disciples. Aren't they great? I, I always tended to, to associate myself with Peter. Now, I know a lot of you thinking I did that because Peter's fat. That's not why. That's not what it was. I associated myself with Peter because sometimes Peter said things that should have been left unsaid. I could always understand kind of where he was coming from. And it seemed like whenever there's an opportunity to say something wrong, I could do that. But what gives me hope is that's not how Peter always was. See, we all start as something, don't we? But God says, I don't leave you there. He says, you are now a new creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works that I have appointed for you to do. You trust me, and I'll give you the power to be more than you are. So Peter, who denied the Lord three times, who blew it, who did all these things, in a couple of days, folks, in 40 days from this point, 
He's going to preach a message and 3,000 people are going to get saved. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He's going to preach that message right in the backyard of the people who killed Jesus. Same guys. But right now, he's hiding in a room. What's the difference? He came to know a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, he's alive. He's alive. And he said, I will not leave you orphans. I'll give you everything you need to be what I'm calling you to be. Well, let's see what happens. They're going to rush back to the other guys. So it says, so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And they come running in. They said, the Lord is risen. And what's the response? He's risen indeed. Isn't that what it says? Lord is risen. Oh, indeed. Same difference. So. And they appeared, and listen, and he has appeared to Simon. Here's good news, guys. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times. The Lord appeared to Simon Peter all by himself, and we don't know what happened. Isn't that cool? All we know is God still used Peter, right? But God and Peter, they got together and made their peace. You need to make peace with God today? You like Peter, running away, upset, frustrated, bitter, what have you? Are you in a place where, where you're able to meet with God and make peace? Because God wants to have peace with you. That's why he came to the cross. We who are at one time at enmity with God, at war with him, he is now, by the cross, made a way for peace. That we can experience all that the Lord has for us. Well, look what happens. They told him about the things that happened on the road and and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Again, that'd be a little bit of a trip, wouldn't it? We're sitting there talking about, have you ever talked about somebody and have them come walking in the room? That's one thing. It's a whole other thing to be standing in a circle with a bunch of guys And have the guy that you're talking about just appear in your midst. And so Jesus' first words to them were, peace to you. But their first feelings weren't peace. They got a little freaked out. But they were terrified, it says in verse 37. They were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do these doubts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands, my feet, this me. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So Jesus begins to talk to them. He already knows what they're thinking. They're, they're tripping out. Is this a ghost? Is this a spirit? What's going on? And so Jesus begins to answer. I love the Lord. He begins to tell them what's going on. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they're standing around, not believing for joy and marveled, they're blown away, they don't know what to do, Jesus said, you got any food? I love Jesus. He like lays it all out, tells them, hey, I, I, you know, I died for you. Here I am, flesh and bone. Look at my hands, the scars of my hands, scars on my feet. The only man-made thing that there is in heaven, the scars on, on, on our Lord and Savior. And while they're blown away and they're trying to figure out how they feel, he just says, 
You got any food? Let's eat. Is that cool? Can we just hang out and eat for a while? Do you know what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3? Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. And if you open the door, I'll come into you and sup with you and you with me. We'll, we'll sit down and eat. We'll have a neat time together. We'll connect. That's what he's talking about. Well, look what happens. So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. I didn't even know they had cereal back then. <laughs> That's not cereal. <clears throat> and so he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all these things would be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. A lot of times people have said, Jackie, why do we bother studying the Old Testament? We study the Old Testament on the prophets on Sunday night and the, and the law on uh, uh, Wednesday night. Why, why are we studying the Old Testament? Well, because Jesus said, these are all the things I told you were going to happen. They were written there. They're there for our admonition, for our lesson, so that we can understand, so that we can realize the truth and the power of God's Word. And so Jesus said, hey, these were the things I told you about. All these things that occurred in the Old Testament. And He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Folks, we all need that, don't we? Man, I need it too. Who is it that unlocks the Scriptures? The, the Apostle Paul said, a natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. He said, a natural man, a natural man is an unsaved man, a man who has not put his faith and trust in Christ. He'll read the Bible and it makes no sense. He said, it makes no sense because the Word of God is spiritually discerned. It is broken down by the things of the Spirit. So the Spirit speaks, the Spirit guides, the Spirit leads, the Spirit does its work. And so Jesus here with His disciples, He opened their understanding. So they got it. So they can see. And they can say, man, Lord, I get it, I get it. We sing songs about it, don't we? We sing songs about open up the eyes of our heart. Open up so that we can understand, so that we can see, so that we can know. And this is what God is doing for them. And He said to them, thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Listen. He said you are. It's what you are. It's what we are in Christ. It's not what we do. He didn't say go do witnessing. What did he say? You are my witnesses. You are my martus. You are a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That people see our reality, our real lives, no mask. The mask is taken away and they see us go through good times, bad times. And they learn the reality of the grace and the mercy and the love of God by seeing us. We don't have to play. We don't have to act. We don't have to pretend. We just have to be who we are. We are... His witnesses, His witnesses to all the world of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. The last thing Jesus did. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. The Greek word is harpazo. He was taken to heaven. Just like that, they watched him arise. And the other gospels tell us as they're looking up, the angels say, why are you looking up into the heavens? This same one who is gone in like manner will return. Go and be who you're supposed to be. Go and do what you're supposed to do. Go and allow the Holy Spirit that he has given us to empower us to be more than what we are. And we will experience our own resurrection day. Our own time when that which is dead becomes alive. When that which didn't live anymore, we have that opportunity. And this morning we have an opportunity to to partake in that same Lord's Supper that Jesus gave. That he, He broke the bread and He passed it out to the people. We have the matzah today. We have the cup. Symbolizing the blood that was shed, that we come to remission of sin. But folks, the Word of God lays out for us. It lays out for us that that that's just a ritual without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's just something you do. But there's no power in it. No power to save. No power to change. No power to make you more than you are today. That power comes from a relationship with Him. Hey, every Easter we have folks that come that don't have a relationship with the Lord and need a relationship with Him. We have other folks who come who have a relationship with the Lord, but they let it, they've let it wane. It's, it's been neglected. And it needs to be stirred up. It needs to be something that they are living for and applying again. So before we pass out the implements, we're going to take a moment and pray. Now, I'm not trying to call anybody out nor embarrass anybody. All you have to do as we pray, you pray in your heart. You pray and ask the Lord. God said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we stand in this place this morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, we thank you. And Lord, as we come before you now to prepare our hearts for communion, but before we come to that place, Lord, we want it to be something real. We don't want it to be fake. So we've got an opportunity at this time, God, just to call upon your name, to call upon your name. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the prayer is simple. You can pray in your heart along with me. Ah, dear Heavenly Father, I know I am a sinner. And I thank you that you died for my sin. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That you died for my sin and rose the third day. 
And I'm asking you this morning to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anybody here this morning that's drifted away from the Lord, they had a relationship with Him and they need to rededicate that, it's just as simple. Lord, I rededicate my life to You. Father, I have drifted. Forgive me. Welcome me into Your presence once again. And allow me to glorify You by the life I live. For I am Your witness. It's what I am, not what I do. Lord God, we just pray as we prepare our hearts to receive communion. Lord God, that You would stir in our lives, stir in our hearts. Lord God, that we would know not just who You are, not just where You came from or what You did, but that we know You personally. Because the Word of God told us all those thousands of years ago. And it's all been fulfilled. So we put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as the worship team come on.